the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guest that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Emergencies usually strike without warning. We're surprised when the stock market crashes or power goes out. Certainly, with earthquakes, there's no warning. These things happen. And when it's breaking news, it's too late to prepare. Now you're scrambling and panicked. Best thing to do is prepare for natural disasters or emergency situations while things are still calm. So ask yourself right now, could you feed yourself or your family for two weeks with the food you have at home at this moment? If not, it's time to act and secure an emergency food supply. I use my Patriot Supply. And you should do. A two-week food kit will get you started. This week, it's on sale for only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. These food kits include meals that last up to 25 years in storage. So order now and prepare yourself so there are no surprises. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You can't remember the phone number 888-441-7290. And you can't remember preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know the name of the show. It's Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle southern-sense.com, 
and click on My Patriot Supply. So check it out. All right. And we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. I haven't done this in so long. It's just only been a week. <laughs> I'm on Blog Talk Radio, SHR, Media, Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the region, And today, hopefully... We're up on Facebook, uh, so those are over on Facebook. Let me know if you're getting a clear signal over there. Anyway, I want to welcome aboard my my co-host, the handsome, the debonair, the intellectual, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. We're off to a rip-roaring start. And you're right, roaring, because it's thundering here big time. It kind of reminds me of last night with all the fireworks and, and everything. I don't know if you can hear that, but... It was great to see the president and to watch the um, celebration on the National Mall and to watch the liberals go crazy, you know, have a conniption over this, you know, really, really enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I got to tell you, it is is a lot of fun, and um, I'm seeing that. We're having a little fun here over on Facebook, so I'm just going to refresh the page there. We got ourselves a great show, a lot lined up here today. Um, we're going to start off with Cheryl Chubley. She is the op-ed Washington Times uh, online person. Uh, we're going to talk to her at the first half. And then we've got three musicians that follow. And one of them I was playing last night, and my husband's going, what the heck are you listening to? Uh, so it's going to be interesting because uh, people know kind of what my taste is. Uh, so one of them is just a little off what I normally enjoy. But anyway, we're going to have three great uh, artists on, Bill Abernathy, Christian Karma, and again, welcoming back our friend Richard Lynch, the Richard Lynch Band. So we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to do. Uh, that said, um, oh, good Lord, I don't even know where I want to start with this stuff, uh, because this is the July 4th holiday weekend, and I watched the celebration uh, and Trump is, Trump's speech on TV last night. What a wonderful, fantastic speech he did. And the mall. Awesome. And I, I was pointing to the TV screen, showing my husband where my girlfriend and I were standing for the inauguration. And we were way up front. And I'm watching the crowd that went to the opposite end of the mall, all the way up to the Washington <clears throat> Monument. What? That's, that's hundreds of thousands of people. Unbelievable. And it was not, everyone on the left was afraid of a political speech. It was very pro-American. What is good about America and what these people that have brought us to this time and place today, who they were and what they have done, it was such a fantastic, fantastic thing to watch. We'll be talking, I guess, about that a little bit. And uh, we'll also be uh, talking about a lot of other things that have been going on in the world with our guests. But anyone that listens to our show knows that we start off with a dedication to a fallen hero. And it appears that for some reason, my video is not transitioning on to the new, the new thing. So let's see if we can try to get this to transition. And, well, I don't know what the heck is going on here. It's supposed to be going on to the new picture, and it's not advancing. Anyway, 
Uh, we're doing the best we can. I'm using a different format. We're just trying to uh, see if we can get this to go. And obviously, it, maybe that might be what I need to do. So anyway, um, we start off a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to Major Brent Taylor. He was killed on November 3rd of 2018 while serving during Operation Freedom Sentinel. And I don't know if I'm going to have the time to do all of what I've collected on this gentleman. Uh, but this is by Joel Goldstein from People.com. And it reads, Brent Taylor, a Utah mayor and Army National Guard major, was tragically killed in Afghanistan on November 3rd of last year. Taylor, a father of seven, was on his fourth deployment to the Middle East. He had taken a leave of absence from his role as North Ogden's mayor, a city north of Salt Lake City, for a year and was expected to return in January 2019, according to the Associated Press. Officials confirmed that the military intelligence officer was fatally shot by one of the local Afghans he was training. Taylor reportedly died from the injuries he suffered as a result of the small arms fire. His attacker was later killed by Afghan forces. Taylor, who had been a Utah mayor since 2013, had previously served two tours in Iraq and was currently on his second tour in Afghanistan. For his most recent trip, the father of seven was sent to work with an advisory team and train the Afghan National Army while also increasing their combat numbers. Major General Jefferson S. Burton, the Adjutant General of the Utah National Guard, told the AP. He was with the folks he was helping and training. That's what's so painful about this. It's bitter, he said. I do believe that Major Taylor felt he was among friends with people he was working with. Following Taylor's passing, Utah Governor Gary Herbert released a statement on Twitter and spoke to Taylor's leadership, patriotism, and bravery. I am heartbroken at the news that we lost one of our own day in Afghanistan and feel completely humbled by the service and the ultimate sacrifice offered by this brave and selfless soldier, he wrote. Governor Herbert also spoke at Utah National Guard headquarters news conference shortly after and called Taylor the personification of love of God, family, and country, the New York Times reported. At the conference, the governor claimed he had tried to dissuade Taylor from returning to Afghanistan, but the major was adamant. Taylor explained that he and his wife, Janine Support, liked the Afghans and believed he would be able to help the area and locals. Taylor leaves behind his wife, Jenny, as well as the couple's seven children, Megan, 13, Lincoln, 11, Alex, 9, Jacob, 7, Allie, 5, Jonathan, 2, and Carolyn, just 11 months. Prior to his departure, hundreds of the city's 17,000 residents lined the street to bid farewell to their mayor as he and his family were escorted by police around North Ogden. His remains arrived at Dover Air Force Base. Since his passing, many have spoken out on social media and paid tribute to the fallen major. Most notably, Afghan National Army pilot 
Abdul Rahman Rahmani, who served along Taylor penned an emotional letter to his wife and remembered the loving, caring, and compassionate man who helped change his views on family, his wife, and democracy. I gained a great deal of knowledge from him, and I'm a better person for having met him, he wrote in the note shared on Twitter. I'm writing this letter to you about a man whom I considered a close friend and whom I loved dearly, he wrote. A leader, one who was the first to volunteer for any tough assignment. Never stop telling your kids what a great man their father was. He was a true patriot. He died on our soil, but he died for the success of freedom and democracy in both of our countries, Rahani added. Other political leaders, including Senator Orrin Hatch, added to the social media tributes. The city of North Ogden also posted a tribute to their fallen mayor on their website, explaining that Taylor's profound influence would live on forever. We are devastated by the loss of our mayor and friend, Brent Taylor, they wrote. Our hearts and thoughts go to Jenny, their children, and other family members as they deal with this tragic loss. We love them and hope they will feel the love and support of all of us in North Ogden. Today's show is dedicated to Major Brent Taylor. But it's also dedicated to far more than that. It is dedicated to all the brave men and women that served in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into tomorrow. We also dedicate to them all the brave men and women that serve as first responders. Remember, they were the first troops before our military to fight off the tyranny of the British and led to the military finally fighting them off. Our first responders who were here before the birth of this nation and through today and into our future. On this July 4th weekend, we dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Harrington, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
others gave it to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power. All right, Todd Allen Harrington, my name is American. You can find him on ToddAllenShow.com. Uh, check it out. And we're trying to make sure that we got everything <laughs> going the way it is, but it looks like Facebook is somewhat behind the rest of us. Anyway, hopefully uh, we're getting everything going. Uh, it goes, it figures, Curtis, can you hear me? Curtis, you got me? I can hear can you, you now. Hear me, Curtis? I can hear you now. All right, I got kicked off. All right, we oh. got kicked off. <laughs> Thank you, Blog Talk uh. Radio, for kicking me <laughs> off in the middle of a tirade. It goes, figures, leave it to Blog Talk Radio to mess up a wet dream. Anyway, yes, we are back and we're live listening on Blog Talk Radio. Oh God, trolls in my computer. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um we're back and we're nuts as ever. 
a uh, lot to talk about. We're going to have Cheryl Chumley calling in in about 10 minutes, but this is July 4th weekend, and you know, everyone thinks it's hot dogs, uh, hamburgers, party, fireworks, beer, beach, whatever. Barbecue. But we forget what it truly, truly stands for. And I mean, I can recite the Declaration of Independence. Anyone can. But to understand the truth about the Declaration of Independence, are you aware that the majority of, not a majority, a large portion of these members, these founding patriots that wrote, helped write the Declaration of Independence, and eventually the Constitution. Some of them were as young as 20 years old. That's 20, oh, 21, yeah. 25. 25 was Jeff- old. Jefferson you know, was only like about these, 31 years old himself. Very On young. the average, 30. Yes. And these young men, with the guidance of other members, were able to create this wonderful nation we have. This nation that is the mightiest and greatest nation that this earth has ever seen. And I will say that unabashedly. Yes, we came from a dark past. We came from tyranny. We threw off the shackles of that tyranny. We threw off the shackles of slavery. We threw off the shackles of segregation. We brought forth the civil rights movement. And we continue to move forward day by day. And when this is one of the things I'm going to be talking to Cheryl uh, tell me about because the New York Times op-ed had put up a video up on the internet and I don't know if anyone saw it. It's why America is not great but it's okay. You know you try to say that say in Russia even though they have what they alleged a democracy you'd be in the gulag. You say that in China you would be in handcuffs and on the work farm so damn fast your head would spin. You try that in North Korea. You try that in any nation world. And oh, by the way, try that in England, where freedom of speech is now tampered to the point where they have thought police out there. If you think a bad thought, you may find a Bobby knocking on your door in the United Kingdom and is coming to the shores of Canada near you. We still have freedom of speech. And I will defend it no matter stupid you are when you open your mouth. I will defend it to the death. You can you have every right to be an idiot, but I have every right to pull you out to your face. You've got me on a tirade here now. So these young men, here's the fate of the, the founders of our signers of the Declaration. Now remember, the final part that, that they write in the Declaration of Independence, and this took courage because they realized if one hung, all hung. They wrote that we mutually pledged to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Honor, your word, your promise, mean, meant something. Today, you soon come around and says, oh yeah, I'm going to send you over, blah, 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 and I'll get back to you. You never see it. People think about giving their word. And what their word means to their honor. And this is something today's society is sorely lacking. People of courage, honesty, and honor. These men that signed this Declaration of Independence pledged that. And they knew that what they were pledging. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration. Five signers were captured by the British as, as traitors. And the British, oh, how civilized the British are. A spot of tea, please. 
the spotted teeth before they torched them and then killed these five brave men, American patriots. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons serving in the Revolutionary Army. Another two had their sons captured. None of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. However, they died their lives, their fortunes, and sacred honor. 24 were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. 9 were farmers. Uh, large plantation owners, men of means, well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence fully knowing that the penalty would be death if they were captured. Carter Braxton of Virginia was a wealthy planter and trader. He saw his ships swept away from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts, and he died in rags. Thomas McKeem was so hounded by the British, he wanted to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay, and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, and poverty was his reward. Vandals or soldiers looted the properties of Dillery, Hall, Clymer, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. In the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over Nelson's home for his headquarters. He then quietly urged General George Washington to open fire. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months in prison. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. The 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and grist mills were laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart, never to be reunited with his children. Norris and Livingston suffered similar fates. Such were the stories and sacrifices of the American Revolution. These were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians like Antifa. They were soft-spoken men of means and education. They had everything. They had security. They had valued liberty more than that security. Standing tall, straight, and unwavering, they pledged for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. They mutually pledged to each other their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. And today, we look at Antifa, what they did. We look at the burning of the flags in front of the White House yesterday. We look at what the left is calling out for free this, free that. That's not what freedom means, not free stuff. Freedom of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That is what freedom means. And that is what these men fight for. That is what these brave men and women in today's military fight for. And this is what we call for on this show. Let's not lose sight of the goal that was placed before us by our forefathers. To maintain this republic, 
And that is what it's up to us now today to do, to maintain and keep and fight back for this republic. Whether it's not, it's bringing back our government to a constitutional government, eliminating the waste and spending that is unconstitutional with departments like Department of Education and the NSA and other departments within government. Let's claw it back. Let's bring it back to its constitutional roots. Let the states take over what the federal government has no right or business in interfering with. And that is my rant for today. That is my rant for today. That's a good one. It's a good one. You know, I've known this for some time, Andy, that um, Thomas Jefferson and um, John Adams, you know, they died on the same day. 50 years after the um, yeah, signing of um, the Constitution, they were, um, I wouldn't want to say they were enemies, but they didn't really care for each other. But they both died on the 4th of July. Now, what I didn't know was five years later, James Mount. Weird. What happened? You, you broke up there, Curtis. I was saying five years later, James Monroe died on the 4th of July. That I didn't know until recently. Absolutely. And I do believe this is our guest calling in. I want to make sure. Is this Cheryl? Cheryl, is this you? Hey. How's it going? Yes, it is. Happy 5th. Uh, Happy 5th. Do you have a fourth on the fifth or the fifth on the fourth? <laughs> Whichever way. I want to welcome aboard <laughs> to the show our latest victim. Our latest victim and previous guest on the show. Always a fun pleasure to talk with Cheryl Chumley. She is the online op-ed editor of the Washington Times. And I'm so glad the Washington Times is out there because every time I pick up the post, I want to barf. And you guys are a breath of fresh air. Welcome aboard, Cheryl. Oh, thank you for that. It's great to be here. I love chatting with you. Um you know, uh, I got a question for you because you heard the Democrats or the people on the left going, oh, Trump with his Fourth of July celebration, parading troops and everything through the streets of of Washington, D.C. It's going to be a huge political rally. He's going to tear up the streets of D.C. Oh, he's doing so many horrible things. And poof, what happened? It was a marvelous a patriotic celebration and not an ounce of political uh, and anything on that on the Trump side, except for the Antifa that showed up and started trying to beat people up. Yeah, it, and you know it's funny because I looked at the headlines this morning and I was expecting to see attack, 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 but the headlines had nothing to attack. I mean, NPR was reporting that Trump's speech was basically along uh, you know American lines, nothing political about it. CNN. Uh, spoke about Trump's talk on the, on the military and patriotism. There were so many 
uh, naysayers out there who had predicted, as you just pointed out, that Trump was going to go off the rails with the self-congratulatory backpats and so forth and divide America. But all he did was speak about America's greatness, very inspiring speech, very motivational speech, very American speech. And only the far left of the leftists have come out today trying to swing and condemn at Trump for the speech he gave on the 4th. Uh, it was it was uplifting. Now I missed the parade, and um, a friend of mine, Jim Simpson. I don't know if you know him. He's written the book The Red Green Axis. Uh, he's a big teddy bear of a guy, and I was imagining as he wrote me this email, him at the mall, because uh, he was down there. He wanted to see the parade. He wanted to hear the Trump speech, but he timed it wrong, so he wasn't able to get the t- Trump speech because he had to take the uh, train back to where he lives. But he was making note of, of the people that were there, and I wish I had seen the parade because I turned around to my husband around 12 o'clock, and I said, honey, isn't it about 12.30? The parade's supposed to be on. Can you find it? He goes, well, I can't find it. And, goes, bah, 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 bah. and so he turns on a movie. So, but when Jim sent me the pictures, these were some of the most patriotic Americans, Vietnamese Americans, uh, Sikhs, uh, uh, people of all different ethnic backgrounds, but proudly saying that I am an American. Yeah, I may have come from a different background, but this is the country I chose, and I chose its values. And they so proudly, proudly were marching. And what glory there is in something like that. Yeah, it's a visual example of what the Democrats always cry that they want. The Democrats claim that they're the party of diversity, party of tolerance, and so forth, the party that just wants to open borders to the melting pot that we can become. And here you have the exact visual in-your-face televised example of how Trump uh, and his administration embraces that just by being themselves. We don't just have political talk with with Donald Trump. We have an administration that actively campaigns for and welcomes in those of all ethnic backgrounds of both sexes, of which uh, I'm going to go on record and say there's only two, no matter what else else is out there, but uh, (laughs) of all political walks of life. It's just (laughs) Trump really does embrace uh, all types of people, and I think he has a genuine respect for love and love of Americans. Uh, that is true. And I had a crack up because I was through uh, the living room and my husband had the news on on Fox. And I think it was the five were on the couch. And one of the liberals on the couch made a comment. Well, Trump was always a Republican. He was a Democrat at one point. And I looked at my husband and says, uh, wasn't Trump photographed multiple times in the Reagan White House? Uh, so what made you think he was anything but a Republican? Yeah, he may have donated to both sides of the fence because of his building projects, but it doesn't mean he switched political parties. <laughs> they still want to claim that you know he's a liberal at heart. Yeah, and you know, it, it's not even so much the party affiliation you claim. It's it's you know the Democrats when they switch parties, they seem to do it so very frequently for. Uh, political expediences fake. You know, look at Charlie Crist down in Florida when he couldn't win as a Republican and then he switched as a Democrat. 
uh, or perhaps it was an independent. Look at uh, Bloomberg in New York, who switches parties all over the place. With Trump, if you look at his background, which was not political, right? He was a business guy. He did what business people do. He reached out to all people, both parties, because of pragmatic business reasons. And now that he is playing the political game, wearing the political hat, he has the same demeanor. He has the same you know, affinity for people of all walks, all politics. He just doesn't – he's not a partisan. He's a pragmatic, I think, is what it is. And I think the left tries to pigeonhole him and label him one way to make it easier for the left to criticize him. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing what they did. And, and um, I love the fact that out in Oregon, they're finally saying, well, maybe we should have Antifa wearing these masks and goggles when they're going to attack. Maybe we need to take them off so we can identify them and prosecute them for assault. It might make it a really good idea, don't you think, Cheryl? I actually think I, I favor the people who would like to uh, label Antifa a domestic terror group because that's exactly what they've become. I think you could make a case that these people, when they rally in public, they need uh, a, a hefty, heavy police presence, and they should be regarded and labeled as domestic terrorists and treated accordingly. And if that means uh, regulating uh, uh, against their ability to wear their face mask in public, so be it. You know, this is America, and you, you don't have the right to terrify and terrorize people under the guise of exerting your First Amendment. You know, it's funny because when we had our Tea Party rallies, we had to go out and get crowd permits. We had to then contract with the local police department for security and pay whatever fine, uh, not fines, but permits uh, for that. You know, we had to have also our own internal security plus clean up crews. Why isn't that required from the Occupy Wall Street or Antifa or Black Lives Matter? Why don't they require the very same things that we obey the law to do for their rallies? It doesn't seem to be happening, does it? It's like a, a, a one-sided thing here. Oh, it's very one-sided. And, uh, I mean, let's be blunt here what's going on. It's because it, the Tea Party, right, uh, because I covered that and I was part of that movement myself, and whenever the Tea Party met, they would leave areas cleaner than how they found them. Contrast that with, like you just brought up, Occupy Wall Street, and those people were just despicable in, in the streets. The things they did, not just with trash, but public defecation and property property destruction, they had local authorities afraid to act. And the reason being is because the media has a large part in pushing the message that the far-left protesters out there, the Black Lives Matters, the, the Antifa, the Occupy Wall Street, they're righteous in their cause. They're defending the nation against these uh, you know, overburdensome, intolerant conservatives out there. And we on the right, we with the ideological right way of thinking, we're the ones who are trying to intrude on the constitutional rights of these far leftists. So the media declares the far left already the righteous cause, and they put pressure on local authorities to pull back police from doing their proper jobs. And, you know, it's it sold through the media this way. The Democrats pick it up with their summers of resistance and so forth and all those types of movements. And what it means is that the left gets by with creating chaos in the street while conservatives are held to a different, more peaceful standard. 
Now, I got a question because the New York Times put out this video opinion piece. And you don't, you can only, got the teeth in back, which you can only watch it if you've got a barf bag on your lap. It, the video was called, <laughs> We're Just Okay. Did you have the misfortune of watching this thing? No, I did not. <laughs> you really, bad? really do have to. Because it is it is propaganda to the left. And it's about almost five minutes. And it mocks the pop culture items, such as cartoons and movies and even mattress commercials. You know how they do those Fourth of July or President Day sales? You know, the greatest country in there. Yeah. Come, come get our mattress. You know it's a schlick, you know? Um they were uh, the narrative they were pushing is that America is the greatest country on earth before playing devil's advocate, and then they quote a UN development uh, and uh, leftist organization, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, using these stats, which of course you know are skewed, and they quote the basically the gold club of 36 countries, predominantly wealthy, Western and democratic. Uh, yeah, how does the United Arab Emirates be that? Uh, and he says, unlike most golf clubs, this one has some diversity. Now tell me, a golf club in the United States that would not admit Tiger Woods, maybe 40 years ago, but you walk into any golf club, you're going to find a diversified number of people there as long as they enjoy the game of golf. It's a common thing there. The golf clubs today do not discriminate. Anyway, and talking like 40, 50 years ago, but not today. Anyway, it says America is the richest country in this club. Yes, probably true. But they also claim that we're the poorest with a whopping 18% poverty rate. Now, I looked at this 18% poverty rate, so I looked a little bit further. And sure, according to American standards, to our style of living to our GDP, yeah, maybe we have people considered in the poverty level at 18%. But when you compare it to the rest of the world, where you have individuals in Africa and Asia living on just $2 a day, look at Venezuela and their economy. I would say 80% of their country is in a poverty rate. But when you compare an American person in poverty, you've got your free cell phone, you've got your free internet, you've got your free housing, your free health care, you've got food stamps, you've got clothing, you've got access to anything and everything. And when you compare our poverty person to someone in Africa or Asia or South America, our poverty person looks like a millionaire compared to theirs. I mean, they just skewed everything here so badly. Well, yeah. You know, first off, it comes from the U.N., so you know it's coming at America from an anti-America standpoint, a globalist view and so forth, a far-left socialist vision of humanity. And second off, if America has such a poverty issue, why why are all these poverty-stricken nations and wealth nations beating down the doors to sneak across our borders? I mean, if America (laughs) needs that much help, then people should be fleeing here. But I don't see anybody fleeing America. It's exactly the opposite. And we're having to beat them back at the borders. So that right there tells you the U.N. is just uh, not that we don't know this already, but it's just yet one more checkmark in the long, long list of the U.N.'s propaganda against the United States, all aimed at bringing down America, uh, you know, exploiting our resources for global purposes, but at the same time condemning us. 
You know, it goes on to say that one of the things that we have poor ranking is the cost of health care, private paid health care. Well, heck, you know, before Obamacare, I mean, when I was a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, if I needed to go to the doctor, I walked several blocks over to my doctor's house. We went in, and if you didn't have the money to pay, he would turn around and say, listen, we'll work it out, and he would work it out. You know, it would be, hey, all right, fine, it's $5 a month, $28 a month, whatever you could afford to pay, we'll pay it off, no big deal. We had health care no matter what. The, the local doctor was always there for us. But with now the expansion of Obamacare, have you, when was the last time you saw a good old house doctor? Never anymore. I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to have been able to afford a concierge doctor. So when my husband was ill, I called him up and said, I need you to come to the house. And he will because of that concierge service. But we didn't have to have that decades ago. We had the health care we needed, and it was freely given in a lot of instances because if you couldn't afford it, it would be pro bono. But now today, Cheryl, they say that everyone doesn't have access to health care. That is the biggest line of BS because in the late 70s, they passed that federal law that if you show up in an emergency room, it doesn't matter if you have insurance or not, they must treat you. End of story. You've got an emergency room near you and tell me a community that doesn't, you've got health care, don't you? Exactly. And the left has been very successful in changing the narrative about healthcare in this country from being a private market uh, family consideration, something that you do as a responsibility to take care of self and family, to making it a human right. And we're not talking, when they talk human rights healthcare, we're not talking just in general that morally speaking everybody deserves uh, good healthcare. They're talking taxpayer uh, paid health health coverage for every man, woman, and child in America. And I have a very long history with the health care now in America. My husband has had uh, a long-running health issue since 2008, and we have seen firsthand how our private insurance companies, we have always carried two health insurance plans on each of our workplace um, health coverage, and we have seen how the premiums have just skyrocketed under Obamacare. So now it's practically to the point where you have to pay half your year's salary in premium and deductibles before you can even tap into your insurance coverage plans. It used to be you go to the hospital, you pay your you know, a few hundred or your thousand dollar cap deductible for the year and you were covered. Now you pay all year long for the same type of health care coverage and that's due entirely directly to Obamacare. You know, I you know, I, I had worked for uh, uh, I'm sorry. Ann. This is my co host. Go ahead, Curtis. I I just get put off by people who who believe that um you know health care is a right reparations are a need and a must and that you know remedial jobs and and uh, low wages are some form of slavery it's almost like they're trying to recreate you know the 30s and, and 40s and, and before you know in America when this land was never founded on collectivism you know it's all about the individual and and there's no reason why any of us should be what we want to be in this country. You know, we got people that come here all the time from overseas and they go into business and they, they make it. And then we have people who've been here 
all their lives and, and their family tree goes back a couple hundred years, and they still have their hands out waiting on government to do everything for them. So I say to those people, you know, try to participate in this republic, you know. I mean, few few countries could ever say that they have opportunities and, and freedoms and liberties and, and that we have. And uh, I think a lot of our people just, just waste waste these opportunities. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well said. And, you know, the problem is what you just alluded to, that uh, collectivism has taken root in our country and our nation was founded on the basic principle that our individu individual rights come from God, not government. And right. now this, the, the dumbing down of school uh, teaching <coughs> of true history, the, the onslaught of socialism that's coming into America, we're losing that core concept, and that's where all this other stuff is stemming from. That's why we get health care is a right for all, and you have to pay for my child's uh, daycare because I had a child when I was 18, and I can't afford to pay for him now. And, you know, free college, free medical care for all. That's where this all stems from. Yeah, it's free, this, free that. That's not what freedom is. Freedom is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. My rights are speech, religion, and guns. You know, there's a difference between rights freedoms and liberties, and they fail to understand the distinction. The moment you say free, well, it's freedom for health care. No, it's not freedom of speech, of religion, not freedom from religion, but freedom of religion. Like the, the school in Ohio that's taking down the Ten Commandments because that atheist group just challenged them. Stand your ground, man. It's freedom of religion, not from religion, but they distort it, and all of a sudden now it's free everything. Where's my Obama phone? I haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's not just I'm going to make you laugh. It's what, <laughs> you did. It, it's what's going up in its place, too. You mentioned about the removal of the Ten Commandments monuments. Well, at some state capitals, they're being removed, the Ten Commandments, but what goes up instead is the Satanic Temple's demonic statue, as if that's supposed to be freedom of religion in this nation. So it's it's not just the tearing down that's taking place anymore. It's the substitution of, of wicked things in their place. Yeah, it's like there, there was three different municipalities, Alaska, Florida, and I forget what the other state was, that in their county council they had – someone do and do a satanic prayer so wait a minute when you complain if a christian comes in there and says a, a a blessing before you have your meeting but it's perfectly okay for a satanist to come in and give you an evil blessing for your meeting that you want to go good i don't even know where to go with that one yeah that's just you know, I've I, I read that story, and the, the prayer was finished, uh, all hail Satan, it is done. A, a mocking of, you know, Jesus' final words on the cross, it is finished, it is done. And that just, out, it, it's such an outrage to me. Let's be clear, this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and that's why founders 
They put in place a system where our nation would not establish Christianity as a form of government-sponsored religion, but at the same time, they never, ever intended or wanted that politics and religion, politics and belief in, in, in a higher creator should be separated. You know, the, the founders themselves appealed constantly daily to their creator, to our creator. And so now when you have Satanists coming in and taking over the territory of, of giving praters before public meetings, that is just an aberration on what this country was founded upon. And I, I, it really gets me a little bit upset that more people don't speak out and put a stop to it in their own communities. It's a shame. And um, we had at one point when they had the decision about uh, same-sex marriage from the Supreme Court come down, and one of our pastors at the time, he's no longer with our our parish, had made a very emotional uh, sermon about same-sex marriage. And we're individuals, our very conservative parish, that is one man, one woman. And I long ago said, the moment government defines the word marriage, they define our religion. And I'm 100% correct, because now look at all the court rulings we have. You have the baker being harassed because he won't do a same-sex marriage cake. You have people over and over again being harassed because they believe by their faith it's one man, one woman in a marriage. But we have domestic civil unions that the the state recognizes. So if you want to marry your toad, you can go ahead and have a civil union with your toad. It's legal. It may not be part of my faith, so you can't do it in my church, but it's still legal according to the government, and you still have all the rights and benefits under the law as spouses. But they don't define it that way. Instead, they have to define our religion, thus then control us. And that's what the main point was, and they've succeeded. You're absolutely right. They've succeeded. And now look at the follow-up from that. We have this whole LGBTQ campaign and movement that's just taking root in our public schools. In my son's public school right now, they are uh, pushing an LGBTQ all-inclusive policy that would allow boys in school who suddenly decide that they want to identify as girls that day to go into the girls' dressing room, the girls' bathroom, and change and so forth. And these policies are being pushed in public schools all around the nation. And when you don't have the clear-cut standard about what first off defines a family unit and an actual marriage uh, as male versus male and female, and then that opens the doors to define yourself by sex and gender, however you want, you have this chaos. And what it, what it all amounts to is tearing down the fabric of society and instituting in its place a chaotic system where, you know, tyranny rules and despots and the anarchists, anarchists and so forth, the Antifa types, take over. You know, it's, you are a mother. Thank you. Bless you for your children. I hope they're healthy and happy uh, with you and your husband. But I came across yeah. this. Uh, Xander had sent it to me. He's a great guy. And it was a tweet that someone put up. And I guess this girl thought she was being really smart and wise. Her father had sent her a happy birthday. Obviously, they're estranged. So he was trying to reach out to her. And that breaks my heart uh, when I hear something like this. He goes, happy birthday to my little girl. I think about you often. I hope all is well. And then she posts on this. I, I don't care if it was too harsh. 
he, my dad, to be told the truth. This is what this young lady wrote to her loving father. I mean, had I even thought of doing this, my mother would have turned me over upside down and turned my high black and blue. She wrote, look, I have been holding off replying because truly, I wish you no harm or ill will, and the truth is going to hurt you. Please stop trying to contact me. Oh, my God, that had to have been cut like a knife. We don't have a relationship because you choose to remain the way you are, and that energy is toxic to me. When she was writing this, I thought maybe her dad had a drug or drinking problem. But no, this is what his problem is. If you can get to the point where you renounce your support for Trump, quit being on the opposite side of reproductive freedom, and treat me like an adult with my own agency instead of your little girl, maybe I will consider it. But you won't do these things, so please stay out of my life. Cheryl. Oh, wow. <laughs> Trump derangement I, I, I syndrome at its worst. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that, I, I don't know what's worse, the millennial mindset or the TDS, the Trump derangement that's seeping through the nation. But, yeah, that, that, that girl's got it all. <laughs> Jeez. You know, like I said, when I was starting to read this and I said, you know, my dad passed away, God bless him, six years ago. And I was lucky. My husband and I, my sister and her husband were able to make it down just days before he passed away. And we held hands. We prayed before uh, he had passed. I mean, just we walked out the, the front door of the hospital and they were trying to reach saying that he had passed after we walked out of the room. And when I think about the love I have for my dad, the things did for me, the way he tried to guide me. I may not have agreed with him 100% of the time, but I always respected him. And we would sit down and we'd discuss. But this, unfortunately, is a young lady that won't even be willing to sit down with the father reaching out to her. And that's what we see in today's society. It is so hurtful. And no wonder why some parents just simply walk away from their family, because what are you going to do with someone like this? What do you do, Cheryl? Yeah, because you're competing with the whole social media um, system. So now someone like that girl, she 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 runs uh, a message like that on social media, and all the boo-hooing, whiny millennials rally about her and pat her on the head and tell her how her self-esteem comes first, and she's right expressing her feelings and so forth. And she gets commended. She gets patted on the head that she did the right thing. So how can you, as a real parent, as a real person, fight against that? You can't. You you can't correct this millennial whiny mindset, the snowflake thought process, until they are confronted with the harsh realities of the world themselves. And I think soon enough they will be because as our age group grows up and gets sick of dealing with them, they're going to have to take on the problems of society on their own, and they're going to find it's not as easy as just uh, you know, expressing a feeling of offensiveness and somebody fixes it for you. Well, Cheryl, it has been so much fun having you. I knew that I was going to get you to laugh. <laughs> I knew yes, that it too. sure did, Anne. You Thank old. you. <laughs> Well, enjoy the rest Especially of your 4th of July weekend, and God bless you for the hard work you've done. And people can find you up on online on the op-ed Washington Times, the right counter to the Washington Post, and thank God it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. You enjoy the 4th weekend as well. Take care, Cheryl. All right, God bless you. Right. You too, Kurt.
check out Cheryl. Check out Cheryl over at Cheryl Chumley. She's over at the uh, op-ed on Washington Times. Uh, she does a lot of hard work over there. I love this woman, really do. Want to welcome a new victim to our show. He's uh, up and coming. Actually, he's got quite a few good hits. Uh, Abernathy. Good afternoon, Bill. How are you today? Well, good afternoon. I'm doing great. And you? Oh, we're just we're just having a lollapalooza over here. <laughs> I was, Man, just at, um, I, I was just to, looking at your website, yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, I I have been friends with uh, Michael for, oh, good Lord, maybe eight, nine, ten, almost ten years now. And he's always gets these great, great musicians up on there. And he sent your name over to me, so I checked it out. And I like, um, I have a black taste in music and I used to play classical violin viola I was teaching myself cello until I broke both of my hands that ruined my musical career um, my co-host Curtis plays several different instruments including uh, the bugle uh, trumpet and Curtis I believe you said you play the saxophone also keyboard the what keyboard, keyboard. yeah okay so we're coming from a musician's point of view when we do listen to your music, and I'm going to pull some of it up here. Uh, but you have an interesting uh, career because you know you start off with music, you then went and raised a family, and now years later you've gone back to it. What made you go back to music? I mean, here you are, you've had your career, you've had your life, you've raised your family. You can sit back on the front porch and just do nothing. What made you get into this? Oh, I think that once you once you're involved in music, you know, it kind of never really goes away. And so, granted, it is true that I, I kind of stepped away from you know performing and recording and doing all that for a number of years. But that said, I never really stopped playing. So I've always had a little music studio in each of the each of the homes that I've had over the years, and uh, continued to write. And and uh, once my kids uh, got out of college. Um, I had a little bit more time uh, to do some things that that uh, I wanted to do, and I just thought, well, you know, I've got all these songs that I've written over all these periods of years, and so let's see what we could do. So we, uh, now we went into the studio and did a little recording, and uh, you know, a couple of them got picked up, and and you know, they did pretty well, and so I thought, well, this will be fun, and so uh, you know, since then, subsequently, we've recorded three more projects, and. Uh, you know, it's just fun. I wanted to get into it. I think that uh, uh, musicians have a uh, a some sort of a pulpit, if you would, to have something to say. And so, uh, as a storyteller, I, I just think that I have something to say, and it seems that people are interested in listening to it. So that's really why I got back into it again. Well, you know, what I'm finding is we're ha- you have a lot of youth coming out into the music industry, um, but. When you find someone that's older, you, you normally think of someone older as already being established in the music industry. Did you find it harder to break in because of your age, competing against the youth, or did you find it easier because people just generally accepted the fact that you've already been down this road? Uh, well, both, actually. So obviously coming at this from you know the older years of, of your life, is different than most people because people consider, you know, being a musician kind of a young man's game. 
uh, I think that there's there's truth to that, and and the whole traveling and touring and all that is pretty taxing, you know, as you get a little bit older. But I also think that there's some value uh, to starting back into the music world with a little bit more experience. You know, I always like to laugh and say I didn't get the gray hair in my beard out of a bottle. So you know, I think that over the years you've learned things, you know, and so when you, when you, uh, you know, when you write your songs and you tell your stories, because effectively that's a really what I am, I'm a storyteller. So when you tell those stories, they're kind of based on a different space than maybe where you were when you were in your twenties and uh, maybe a little bit more knowledge and experience. And so I think that, uh, that, that translates through our music. And I think that uh, there are a lot of folks that are, are pretty interested in hearing that, kind of different perception on some things. Well, you know, it's funny because I listened to all the songs last night and I was making notes and I noticed that most of the songs you wrote talk about something that happened in your life. And you just mentioned about how taxing it is uh, being on the road. And just for the fun of it, I want to play one of these cuts. And the note I put next to it is that it starts off reminding me of the song Thunder Road. I don't know if you are aware, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware of the road, the song Thunder Road. And I was wondering, uh-huh. did you have this that, that sort of lick in mind when you started the song off? Um, which song is it? <laughs> and I could tell oh, you. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I should tell you that. <laughs> Doy, uh, Whiskey Road. Uh, Whiskey Road, interesting story, actually. Um, uh, I co-wrote that with a friend of mine uh, that I used to play music with back in the day. And and uh, he had had uh, a bit of a, a struggle, you know, with the bottle, if you would. And uh, uh, he had kind of straightened himself up a bit and came over to my house one day. I hadn't seen the guy in 15 years. And uh, he started telling me his whole story. And he said, yeah, man, I've been... I've been traveling down this whiskey road and, and I'm trying to finally get my way out of it. And, uh, he and I just sat together that afternoon and wrote the song. Uh, it was, uh, I didn't have any particular lick, uh, in, uh, in mind. And if you really want to know the opening lick to that song, which is what I think you're probably talking about was actually written by my son. So he, uh, my son is a bit younger than me, obviously. And, and, uh, he likes to play music. A obviously. Bit. And, uh, <laughs> he, he uh, he told me that he took my version of Whiskey Road and whiskeyed it up a little bit. And uh, that lick, that uh, the opening lick uh, for that song actually came from him and his whiskeying up my Whiskey Road song. So there you go. Well, this is to you and your son, Whiskey Road by Bill Abernathy. And the album, if I make sure I get this correct, uh, is called Willow Creek. So here we go, Whiskey Road. Do it my way, damn it. Found. I've seen all their 
that beat and that hang overhead. <laughs> Whiskey Road, Bill Abernathy. We're speaking with Bill Abernathy and his new album out is Willow Creek. Bill, it is, it is a fun album, but it also is an album that makes you think. Because we all have someone in our family under this type of a situation and you, you want to reach out to help them, but you can't do that until they seek that help. True. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And I was uh, very pleased with my friend uh, who helped me write that song that he 
he did actually come to the point where he realized that it had become a problem for him and that he needed to do something about it. So kudos for him and uh, kudos for us for sitting down and drinking a, a nice cold glass of lemonade and writing a song about whiskey. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm drinking my earth water. <laughs> Not my earth, my earth water. Mm. I think if I were to have any shot of anything right now, my doctors would kill me because the, <clears throat> the health care I just went through with my heart and everything. <clears throat> so Annie is on the wagon for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question for it's, it's a great album. Uh, it's a great album. You've got 11 cuts on it. Um, one of the things I, I, I found very moving is your song about changes. And there were some certain transitions I noted in the song, uh, but people, one of the things that people always expect, you know, here you are, you may be in your 50s and 60s, and you're still thinking like a 20-year-old. And then you end up doing something stupid and go, oh, my body can't do that. Or you try to look back and say, well, I used to be able to say doing this when I was 20, but now what has changed? So people keep on looking at the past, not realizing that's not where their future lies, is it? No, you know, I think that, uh, um, and thank you for bringing up the song Changes. It's, uh, it's actually one, one of my favorite songs that I've written over the years because it's it's really the one constant that every one of us has in our lives, right? The, the one thing that happens every day is that something will change. You know, it may be something professional, it may be something personal, it may be an emotional thing. Uh, but one thing that you can always count on is nothing is ever going to be the same and everything is going to change. Uh, and really, uh, the impetus behind that song is, is to say that it's how we react to those changes and how we embrace those changes that really help us become who we are. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the tagline in that particular song is that change always teaches us to be everything that we're destined to be. And I think that's very true. You know, I look back, uh, you know, over my life through music and then my professional career and all the things that I've done. And each time, you know, I got a curveball thrown at me. Each time something that showed up that uh, really wasn't expected, uh, as I worked through that, you know, I learned more and I learned more. And I became, you know, I think a better person uh, over, over the years because of that. So, you know, I think that our ability to understand uh, what those changes are and how to adapt uh, into maybe a different environment or a, a different place emotionally or a different place professionally is really the key uh, to being successful across the, the various elements of your life. Well, you know, when, when I was thinking of it, I was thinking of not just on the personal level, but I was also thinking on it on a, a different level uh, because we, we've, I live in a coastal area, and I keep on hearing all some of my neighbors screaming out, climate change, climate change, they're going to swallow up my home. And I'm thinking about, you know, you idiot, uh, a couple of millennial ago or something like that, you know, this continent was underwater. And probably, you know, in the near future, somewhere along the way, this continent may end up being back under the water at some point in time, long after I'm dead. But what made you think to build your home on a beach, knowing that tides come in and out and it just might wash your house away, and now suddenly I'm Responsible for your house. I, I was I was thinking about that as well as the emotional because you know the world changes. It's not just our personal lives, but the entire world changes. And unless we're able to adopt and adapt to those changes, 
we're not going to get anywhere. All we're going to be doing is fighting each other for the rest of our lives. Yeah, no, I agree. And and uh, to, to reference what you mentioned, you know, sometimes when you make decisions in life that maybe aren't the best, you know, maybe you built your house on the beach, whatever the case may be. When you make those decisions, you, know, you have to own that, right? You have to own that. You have to say, I made that decision. It's my responsibility. I've got to do something about it. And uh, I think that's one of the things that uh, that particular song can bring out is that, you know, when you decide to do something, own it, man. You know, uh, you can't blame it on somebody else. You can't blame <laughs> it on a million other things, you know. When when you make a decision and you do something, you know, own it. And uh, if it turns out to be great, more power for you, you know, pull big kudos. If it turns out to be a mistake, own the mistake, learn from it, and move on, you know. So that's kind of my thing. There you go. Well, it's funny because the reason why I mention that is my former congressman, Mark Sanford, had started a proposed legislation. He shot it over to me, asking me, what's your thought? And he wanted to take, have FEMA buy back all the houses that were along the water coastways, not just the ocean, but along riverfronts. And I'm like, I'm going to use my tax dollars to pay for someone else's bad decision? Uh, no, I don't think so. And I don't think FEMA has the budget to buy every single coastal home up. Not a good idea, Mark. <laughs> Not a good idea. Curtis, go ahead. I cut you off. Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, politicians sometimes, uh, you know, they get put in some positions, you know, they get put in bad spots, and then sometimes maybe they don't make the best choices. But, uh, you know, they have to do what they have to do. And, and uh, um, some of the proposals that come out, you know, we see it in the United States today, right? Some of the proposals that come out, you just look at it and you, you just kind of go, really? You know, I, uh, that I, I know it's their job, and I know that, <laughs> that, that probably in their heart they're trying to do the right thing and all that. But uh, uh, I oftentimes wonder if they don't just say things to make sure that they're getting the vote so they maintain job security as opposed to actually doing something that is the right thing to do uh, that's logical and reasonable and the best thing for their constituents. So, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm not really a very political guy. I'm really a common sense guy. Uh, and typically, from what we can see in the United States today, politics and common sense don't run well together. Uh, they almost are, you know, <laughs> cross-currently running, you know. So, I love the well, that's why we call this uh, Southern Sense. <laughs> Go ahead, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, I love the song. I love the chord changes, especially as a writer. I'm often asked, where do I get my inspiration from for my, my stories? Um, as a musician, what inspires you? Where do you get your motivation from? Oh, that's really simple. It's uh, it's blasted all over my social media stuff. So, you know, I have a little mantra that I use uh, in my music that says, if you hear a song that sounds like it was written about you, it may have been. So, you know, I think that inspiration comes from things that happen in my life, right? Uh, but they also come from things that happen to other people, in other people's lives, you know? So it may be a good friend of mine, like the Whiskey Road song that came over and he told me his story, uh, you know, and, and and we wrote a tune about that. That was the inspiration for that. You know, it may be, uh, you know, I wrote a tune one time about somebody I saw at an airport. Uh, I never met the person, didn't know them, never even had a conversation, but uh, uh, it was so funny to me to watch the amount of stress 
that this person was operating in uh, over, you know, nothing. And just the, the amount of craziness that was going on in their mind and in their lives, sitting in an airport trying to talk on two different telephones at the same time. Uh, in two different conversations, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, at some point, I, I really want to aspire. I want to aspire to be that important at some point in my life, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen, nor do I think that person was all that important either. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, that's where it comes from for me. It's it's just the things that, that you see every day, things that happen every day. You know, everybody has stories, right? Everybody has things that happen to them, and uh, oftentimes that can that can inspire uh, you know, a thought, uh, you know, I, I'm a, when I write, uh, I always write a story first, right? I always write the story and, and then, uh, that story will convert into lyrics and then lyrics will tell that story. And I try to write the genre of music around the story itself to emphasize the story and emphasize maybe the, uh, the message behind the song. Right, so you know, we write stuff in country, we write it in rock, we write it in blues, we've even dabbled around in jazz a little bit. Um, and so, you know, to me, the story itself is the inspiration, and, and the music kind of follows along as, uh, as you know, to be married to the song. So, um, that that's kind of our inspiration. So, if you hear a song that sounds like it was written about you, man, it may have been, I may write one about this interview, you never know. <laughs> Well, it's funny because on the top of the page above all your songs, I wrote Balladeer. So, see, I caught it all. But this is your song, Changes. I want to play this one. Let me get it queued up here. And this is Changes by Bill Abernathy, and it's Cross Willow Creek is the name of his album. I'm still surviving. It's a 
Bill Abernathy is our guest, and his album is called Cross Willow Creek. Now, Bill, we've only got just a few minutes left uh, before Kristen calls in, uh, so we don't have enough time to go through half the songs on your album, but I picked out just a couple of them uh, because it's so great, and I want people to go to your website, which is BillAbernathy.com, to get your album. Um, But the one I, I circled with highlighted and everything was the one Cry Wolf. If that is not so <laughs> apropos today, I don't know what is. Yeah, Cry Wolf is an interesting song. There's a, a story behind how that one got written. Um, I had actually been out messing around with my grandsons, and it goes back to this, you know, be it old thing. I was out messing around with my grandsons playing ball one day, and I blew, I blew my Achilles out and uh, had to have surgery, right? And uh, I was sitting at home the day after the surgery, eating a bunch of pain pills and uh, keeping my foot elevated and ice and all this stuff. And I didn't have anything to do. And so I flipped on the news and uh, or maybe I don't I hate to call it news anymore. I call it opinions. I flipped on the opinion stations uh, and uh, just started going through, you know, and seeing what each of them was. And, uh, you know, I don't have a particular favorite station. I tend to watch them all. A little bit, and uh, while I was doing that, I was playing around on social media, and I noticed how quickly, how quickly, a breaking news story or a news flash or you know whatever they call them, got repopulated back into social media, uh, just almost instantaneously, and uh, I was really fascinated with that because you know again you know we don't have news stations we have opinion stations and so uh, you 
you really don't have time to vet it. You know, you don't have time to look at it and say, does this really make sense? Is this really true? Uh, and, you know, and then all of a sudden we've got, you know, it's blowing up across social media, you know, pick, you know, the latest tweet, for example, is, is, is a great one, uh, you know, or a, a breaking news or an interview uh, with some politician somewhere and they say something, you know, and all of a sudden it gets a lot of popularity and blown up across social media. And I got to look at it as I'm going, well, number one, uh, okay, so that was cool. Did you guys hear that in, on the – could you hear what just happened outside? Because the Blue Angels are practicing in Kansas City today, and they just did a flyover, and I was watching it, and it was cool. Uh, so back to uh, <laughs> back to Cry Wolf. Way cool to watch the Blue Angels, just say it. And uh, one of the things that's great about our country and, and uh, the 4th of July and all the things that we're celebrating this week. But uh, uh, Cry Wolf, it really – it really fascinated me how quickly, you know, misinformation got repopulated across social media. And of course, you know, if it becomes very popular and goes viral, and now you've got misinformation that is is effectively being scattered all over the, the internet. And uh, uh, it, it kind of made me think of the old story of the boy who cried wolf. You know, because if you if you're constantly, you know, repopulate bad information and and really bad ideas and bad concepts and and uh, you know things that really haven't been uh, investigated, right? At some point, you know, everybody's going to say, "Wow, look, Bill just bought, Bill just posted again. He posted again. He posted again." And it's like the boy who cried wolf. And at some point, you're actually going to have something to say, and it's going to be true, and it's going to be valid, and it's going to have value. But nobody's going to listen because you've already populated all this other crap. Uh, and you know, it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? So when you actually do need people to pay attention or you need help, nobody's going to, because, you know, you've repopulated all this stuff. And, and, uh, uh, obviously, you know, I was in a bit of pain and I was eating pain pills and, uh, uh, cry wolf just came out, you know, cause it, it kind of frustrated me, you know, you and I got a little frustrated with that one. You were high. No, I wasn't really high. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't really high, and, and uh, I'm not a fan of pain pills, so I just take enough to kind of knock the edge off. But, uh, you know, so I probably wasn't exactly in what I would call a cherub like demeanor when I wrote that song uh, because, you know, I was in pain and hurt. And, and uh, then I got a little frustrated with all this stuff that goes on, you know, in, in, on the news cycles or the opinion cycles and also, the, you know, getting repopulated in social media. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I was probably not in the greatest of humors and, and uh, Cry Wolf just happened. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, Cry Wolf was actually the first song that we released off Crossing Willow Creek. And and uh, it, it got very popular. I mean, it got streamed all over the world, you know, hundreds of thousands of times. And and uh, I thought it was very interesting. And then actually in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe I should get pissed off more often. I don't know. Maybe I'd make more money. So there you go. <laughs> Well, Bill, it's, it's better to be pissed off than pissed on. And this is the final cut we're going to play true. because I see our next guest is up in the in the tra- in the uh, studio here. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> so it's Cry Wolf from your Cross Willow Creek album, Bill, and people can find you at BillAbernathy.com. Last name A B E R N A T H Y. BillAbernathy.com. It's an excellent outcoming, and this is your first album, I do believe, correct? No, actually, Cry Wolf, uh, the Crossing Willow Creek is my third album. So, oh, I had all a right. Previous so then, I have to find that better. I had, 
Yeah, yeah. So I know you're into. Uh, I know that I don't want to take any more time, but I know you're into the patriotic stuff. Uh, you might check out my Find Away album and listen to the uh, the title cut from it. It's about my father, who was in the 82nd Airborne in World War II, and some of the things that he taught me. The most decorated airborne unit in World War II, and even today in the World War on Terror. Bill Abernathy, it has been a fun pleasure. Your album. Cross Willow Creek is on your website, and we're playing this cut from Cry Wolf, and we will have you back again, that's for sure. Bill Abernathy, thank you for oh, joining great. us. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk this afternoon. Have a great day. Yeah. 
check out Bill Abernathy, BillAbernathy.com. Our next victim is in the bullpen. Let's welcome aboard first time to the show, Kristen Karma. Good afternoon, Kristen. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, welcome to our Canadian cousin here. Uh, I was reading your bio, and it was extremely interesting. Uh, I don't know if you had the same parents as I had, but go through the music lessons, the ballet lessons. And i got to be honest. I was an extremely uh, graceful ballerina. Uh, I was learning how to do the dance and everything because my mother would teach me the steps. I would watch it on the TV, and she'd bring all of these things home. The second she made me enroll in ballet classes, I ended with two left feet. <laughs> I'm telling you, it didn't help at all. I mean, I ran into things, broke things. I became the clumsiest person ever. But if you succeeded, God bless you. <laughs> she ruined me at that point. No, no. Well, I definitely tried my best. Definitely, definitely tried. Um, I, I kind of enjoyed the lessons, but it came to a point where they actually told me that I would be too tall to uh, have a suitable partner to uh, dance with. So it's kind of, you know, my hopes and dreams at that point were a little bit shattered and I kind of moved on to something else and found music. So it worked out in the end. Yeah, because growing up, you know, my my father didn't play an instrument. My mother did and very badly. Uh, but she did encourage all of us to take up, you know, musical instruments. And my three siblings all went for either a woodwind or a horn where I end up choosing a string instrument. You know, growing up in your family, you have the musical training in the background. You had the professional voice training also. I had somewhat semi, and I got a, a uh, opera singer yell at me because I didn't continue my lessons. <laughs> but you were able to take this and bank it into a musical career. And not only that, you happen to be a studio nerd. Yeah, um, I mean, it started from, you know, I kind of begged my parents for a piano and they, you know, I came home one day and I just remember, you know, being able to sit there and, and trying to, to learn as fast as I could and go through everything. And then I kind of went on for, you know, lessons from there. And, uh, um, you know, I, I really didn't kind of appreciate music and, and learn all about the instrumentation until I joined the Air Cadet program, actually. So, um yeah, there I, I was learning saxophone, and from there I just kind of branched out to everything I could get my hands on, whether it was uh, a brass instrument. Uh, I think I, I, you know, I tried the trumpet and uh, uh, baritone, and uh, went to drums and just everything, and kind of explored. And um, yeah, it wasn't until about uh, about ten years ago that I actually went and decided to do this professionally, and. Uh, um, got you know involved in the voice lessons and got into songwriting and um, but yeah it was definitely you know that that first moment of asking my parents for a piano that it kind of just took off and just the love of music just sparked within me. Yeah, it's funny because you get musical teams. You'll have one that writes the music and one will write the lyrics. Now, do you do both or do you have something that you work with? No, no, I uh, I do both. Um, I usually uh, go through the music first and then come up with the lyrics later. But 
um yeah well i'm it it really depends on you know like the day the mood or or the inspiration i've got you know hundreds of voice memos on my phone and just little notes with the you know jotting down either some chord progressions or some 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 phrases or some lyrics or some ideas uh but yeah it's usually usually the music comes fairly easy to me it's 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 the lyrics that are a little bit uh they take a little bit of time for for me yeah now <clears throat> Music wasn't your background. You you had a fairly conservative upbringing, uh, but you've got a rebel in you too. You've got that person that is a strict uh, disciplinarian where you want everyone to show up on time for the practice, for the show and everything else, but you've got a little imp in you, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I definitely, you know, people showing up later or just, you know, being lazy with the timelines or, or whatnot is it's kind of a little pet peeve of mine and I kind of get a little, you know, anxious in that way. But uh, I think that's, you know, exactly the conservative uh, background, you know, being in the cadet program where it's very, very, um, it's based off the military program. So um, I've got that. And then, you know, the, the world of ballet and dance is very, uh, very strict and what you have to do in your know, positions and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's, um, other than that, when I, I have that side, but then when I get on stage, it's kind of like that just kind of floats away, and I just have um, like this alter ego just kind of thing that comes out. And it's, you know, I want people to have fun. I get off the stage, you know, make sure they're dancing and make sure they're enjoying their time, and and just really, you know, kind of being the life of the party and just kind of making sure that everyone is uh, just having fun in general. Now, Michael only sent me just a couple of your songs, so I didn't have enough time to do a full research like I really wanted to. But is this your first album that you you have tried on or not? No. So I, I originally uh, released a, a first album in 2010 called Destination Unknown. And um, since then, I've been releasing a few singles here and there. And uh, just kind of uh, exploring different kind of uh, molding different genres, whether it is I dabbled in a little more dubstep, a little more electronic, that kind of thing. Um, just trying to figure out what I really like. And um, I've, you know, come up with the, the, this pop music that I have now that is incorporating, you know, different, um, you know, rocking guitar solos, dance beats, infectious melodies, that kind of thing, and, and combining it all into one. Uh, so right now I'm working on my next album to release um, the end of the early next year. And so I've um, just released the second single off for the album. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's been doing really well. Well, one of the songs that Michael sent me was one called I Wonder Why. And we all go through life and we have relationships and you, you think everything's going great. Then everything falls to hell in a handbasket. Um, do you write from personal experiences? How, how do you get your ideas? Absolutely. It's a hundred percent personal experiences. Um, I feel it's more authentic and it connects more with the fans out there. Um, I have, you know, sung other people's songs, and it's just not the same. It's not the same passion. It's not the same, um, you know, just getting myself behind the song. It's very difficult. So, um, yeah, I just, it's it's all authentic. It's all experiences. Um, I wonder why is definitely, you know, experience of mine, just, uh, you know, kind of being in a relationship and then having, um, you know, the other person just kind of, 
that's it. You know, like we're, you know, you don't really know why it's over. You're just kind of left in the dark and, you know, yeah, you wonder why. And so, you know, I had to write a song about it. Well, we've all had relationships like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I remember a lot of times I'm wondering why and praying that I get the guy back. And, hey, you know what? The good Lord always has a way of listening to your prayer. He may not answer it the way you want. But in the end, your life ends up turning out better if you leave the SOP box. <laughs> but I want to play Absolutely. this song. <laughs> so I'm glad you're you're in a better place. This is your song from your. Uh, this is an upcoming album that this song is from. Yeah, Can I yeah. wonder why? Absolutely. Okay, great. Like Michael didn't give me too many notes to work with, so I'm doing a little second guessing here. I gotta remind you though, my de- my dance days are several decades in the past. So I'm a little bit more sedate. So I was surprised that Michael sent you over to me, but I did enjoy it. So this is your song, I Wonder Why. Two years in a drunken night. You told me we were never right. These sparks would never night. You packed your big leaf with the heart out on the sea.
start, I guess, is Kristen Karma. Uh, Kristen, uh, I'm reading over the notes, and I saw that you had actually toured with Lady Gaga, didn't you? So I actually played her her VIP after parties. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a tour. Um, she had stopped in Vancouver for her Born This Way ball, and um, I was playing. I was one of two artists selected to play her VIP after party, which was opening for her opener at the time, which was DJ Lady Starlight. Wow, amazing! Now, the next song that Michael sent me, knowing this background, I had to laugh. Now, being of the from from, from age, <laughs> uh, my girlfriends and I used to go out to you know these different uh, dance places, and you would always see this crowd of these elite that would come in, and we are the peons. They're there to attract people, uh, to to give gravitas to the establishment. They deign to show up. Uh, and everyone's like, ooh, ah, ah. And I, I was never impressed with this crowd. And you wrote this song, which I thought was really pretty funny, honestly, uh, called Party Heroes. And um, am I reading this correctly? Are you kind of like putting a little poke of fun at these party elitists? No, no. So the story, <laughs> the story behind it was um, I was uh, hosting a, a party when I had first moved to Toronto and uh, it was kind of fizzling out around 11, 1130, as parties do. And, um, you know, everyone was kind of started getting to ready to leave. And a friend of mine showed up with her entourage of, you know, 15 people. It was quite quite a large entourage she had with her. And uh, they had, you know, uh, more food, more drinks, more, more everything. And they just, you know, came and she's like, why are you guys leaving? And turned up the music and it lasted for you know until four or five in the morning and I was like oh my gosh I have to write a, I have to write a song about this this is crazy I can't be the only one who you know or has an event or some sort of thing and has somebody show up late and just kind of like restarts the fire of the party and just or the event and just it just keeps going and it just doesn't end so um yeah so I just had to write a, a song about it and it was a good party anthem and party heroes came out of it <laughs> well, I, I had a, a funny story. My husband and I were throwing a party at our house uh, one weekend, and we told people to start showing up about 3, 4 in the afternoon. We actually had people showing up at 11 in the morning. Uh, so, of course, we're not completely set up, so we just we just employed them. <laughs> just said, all right, you want to <laughs> hang out? It's all right. You can have all the beer and drinks you want. You're just going to help us set up. So they started showing up at 11. And we were going to break everything down, say, 8, 9 o'clock at night. The last person left at 2 in the morning. It was so bad that there was a uh, bridal shower across the street at another house. The people from the bridal shower left there, came over to us, and hung out. (laughs) I guess my husband and I at that time were the party elite. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. I I looked just... So I, I, look, I've seen both sides of it, and, and I, I kind of had a little fun of it because you know, everyone takes something different from a song. You may have one intent uh, when you wrote it, but when someone else listens to it, like I did, I came up with a, a different, uh, different theory, a different idea mm-hmm. from it. Do you have that a lot where someone sees one way you wrote it, you intended it one way, but they see something different? Oh, all the time, and it's it's definitely open to interpretation, and. Um... You know, even if it relates to a person in in one way, that's that's amazing if someone can just relate to what I've I've written. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's just amazing to see you know 
the differences that uh, that uh, people come up with with uh, how it relates to them. Kristen. Well, uh, oh, go ahead, Curtis. This is my co-host, Curtis. Hey, I love your music. Oh, thank you. At what age did you realize you had um, musical talents, and and how did you embark about um, learning your craft? Um, hmm. I'd say after I went to audio engineering school, I kind of started songwriting and, uh, I played my first song for, for my parents when it was, uh, after I went into the studio and, and they liked it and I thought, yeah, I could, I could see myself doing this on stage. Um, but it wasn't until about 10, 11 years ago that I really, you know, started even writing. I, I've always liked the stage. I've always liked, you know, performing, whether it's, you know, was through dance or through, you know, marching bands or whatever the case was. Always liked performing in front of crowds. Um, but yeah, the, the the songwriting and owning the craft probably about 10 years ago. It, it's funny because I always enjoyed performing on stage because I was uh, orchestra, pit orchestra, chamber orchestra. I was actually a color guard for the marching band. Um, I did uh, stage and theater. Uh, believe it or not, about a little over a decade ago, my mother turns around to me. She goes, how come you never went to Broadway? And I told her I didn't think I had the talent. And she looked at me like I had 14 eyes. She goes, you should have gone. I never did. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever regret that, but you've had the opportunity and chance uh, to do this, and you have a marvelous career ahead of you. That said, Let's get the song out called Party Heroes, and we're speaking with Kristen Karma, and you can check her out at kristenkarma.com. And here we go, Party Heroes. Coming and it's gonna get loud. 
All right, Party Heroes by Kristen Karma. Kristen, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. It has been so much fun. Thank you, and good luck on the new album coming up. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right, God bless. Kristen Karma, check it out, kristenkarma.com. And I do believe we got our next guest in the line. Uh, Curtis, you do have to leave very shortly, I understand, because you've got a personal matter you need to take care of. Yeah. But I enjoyed the show today. Okay. I love musicians. <laughs> well, we'll be speaking over the weekend, and we'll have a great show set up for uh, next week. So let's welcome aboard. Always great to have this victim up on the studio, Richard Lynch. Good afternoon, Richard. How are you today? Well, I'm good, and thanks for having me. It is so much fun always to have you, and I'm glad I saved the best for last. So, Curtis, whenever you head out, just give us a, a little shout. And let us know that you're you're, you're heading out, um, and that way we won't okay. miss you. Uh, but uh, Michael sent me a whole bunch of new – well, not some new, but some new, some old. So he's got me a little confused. You have a new album coming out that's called Think I'll Carry It On? Yes, ma'am. It just was released uh, two weeks ago. Ah, Shame on you. You should have mailed me a copy of the DVD. Shame on you. Oh, man. It's not too late. You know, one of them things where I go about 19 directions and I miss the 20th one. Daggone it. <laughs> oh, well, we've been having a lot of fun and recording and playing music, and uh, life's been pretty good. Well, you know, um, I, I see a lot of other songs on here. You're repeating with some of them, which is always good because you've got the love tattoo, uh, a charity that you do. And it's so important to constantly remind people that it's out there because people normally will go, all right, I'll donate once. And then they walk away. They forget about it. But you've got to fight to constantly get people to be remain aware and to continue help you with this good work you do. This is very true. We we try to keep focused, and you know, um, basically the new album that's re- just been released is a compilation of twelve songs, and I wrote all uh, twelve songs or co-wrote all of them. And uh, a couple songs had been released in the in the past, but had never been put on an album. Um, so we wanted to make sure that uh, all my compositions was on one CD, and um, and like you said, you know, we're, we're making making aware of uh, the fact that we are supporting in traditional uh, country music and supporting the, um, you know, the, the men and women that serve our country so well of the military. And that's why we have the Love Tattoo Foundation is to try to maintain, maintain and keep uh, awareness of those folks that are so, you know, in need. And uh, we can't do enough for them as far as I'm concerned. You know, it, it's funny because, you know, yesterday was July 4th, and everyone has a whole weekend, five-day weekend, yay! But they wow. forget about the men and women that got us to this point in our history. It's great, July 4th parades, fireworks, blah, 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 and then they go back home. They have their weekend parties, they go to the beach, they drink their beer, they have their barbecue, yeah, and they forget about what the entire meaning of this whole weekend really is, the sacrifice. Right. And I I started off the show talking about it because before we had the military here in the United States, you had the first responders. You had the men and women that actually were the front line before we had a military doing the fighting, doing the skirmishes. Um, 
so we had first responders before we had a military and and they then transitioned into the military and brought us forward to this point in time today where we're still fighting for freedom and liberty. And yet we're the bad guys in the world. This makes no sense. You know, uh, the, the, uh, the fact that people twist, um, you know, intentions and they twist different things around to fit to their agenda is sad. But the truth of the matter is the American people, most American people, are are smarter than that, and you can't fool them very long. Anyhow, they just like you know they just like today's music. You know they they've tried to tell people that this is country music that's being aired today, and the country fans know better. So it's all relevant. They 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 can try their they can try their little manipulation and their little agendas, but the truth of the matter is uh, the the real people out there, the the country fans and the real American you know flag wavers, you can't fool them. No, you can't. Well, you have the song that I love. I always love playing this song, Love Tattoo. And it, people don't understand. You can you can see a military person. They may have a, a limb missing. They may have a physical scar. But there's also an internal scar, a scar within their heart, the soul, and their mind that you, through your organization, try to heal. And you do that with that uh, lodge that you uh, helped dedicate to this uh, so that they can come and they can spend the week and they can see fellow uh, military individuals there, swap stories, find comfort, go swimming, fishing, whatever, but to spend time with someone else who understands where you're coming from. And it's so important in the healing. That's very true. And, you know, um, the the place you're making mention of or in reference to is a place called the Wilwyn Lodge, and it's in Michigan. And it's a a 1,200-acre facility, and anybody that served our country from World War II to, to, to today's present is welcome. And, uh, you know, I, I, what I find unacceptable is they say 18 to 22 folks, um, military folks, take their life a day from suicide. And I find that unacceptable. So in our little small way, you know, we can contribute and, and help for a cause to where – if someone is feeling threatened or they feel, you know, suicidal or that they need to make aware that there is a place for them to where they can get away and relax. And uh, if they need to speak to a, a doctor, there's that ability too. But you know, it's just something that, I, that I, I'm passionate about and I, I care deeply about. Well, this is your song, Love Tattoo. Let me get this queued up. I'm getting a little better at this, queuing up the songs and hitting the right buttons, but I still mess up every now and then, so don't don't hold it against <laughs> me. All right, this is Richard Lynch and Love Tattoo. Come on, play. Now I, here we go. His kids, his wife. For them, he gladly gave his life. He served his country as many do. And he came home with a love tattoo. I remember. 
And I love that song. I absolutely love that song. You know, real country is really, really hard to find today. And yet you incorporate all of the heritage of rich, real country. And I, I, I love the way you do it. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I come from a country music family, and my dad was an incredible singer, entertainer. And I, I grew up in a household where country music was prevalent. And, uh, you know, was taught respect and, and taught to, uh, you know, just to uh, love a simple way of life, I guess you might say. I, I was born and raised on a farm. I still got a farm. 
Uh, and, I, you know, I love the country music. I love the country way of life. And uh, I'm, I know I'm a pretty lucky guy, so I get to enjoy all that these days. So. And that is that is a blessing. Um, I did not grow up on a farm. I was in like a suburban area where you had one house on top of the other. Yeah. But, uh, my father and mother loved the country, but you're talking about the old classical country that you you rarely find anymore. Uh, but yet you, because of your heritage, you're able to bring it into a new audience. And in your music, you talk not about what your beliefs, your faith, and your love of country. Uh, but you talk about family, too, and how important it is. Now, you have a song in here, and I have to apologize. When I printed out the list of songs, I forgot to tell my computer to print it at normal size. So I'm, I'm squinting as I'm looking. My age is showing. Yes, I need glasses. Uh, back in 1953, you wrote. Tell us about that song. Well, um, the song basically was written about my dad. I mentioned earlier that, you know, I was born into that country music family, and uh, my dad was a huge influence on me. Um, and uh, he's been gone for quite a while now, but when I was 19 years old, he given me an, an old Gibson flat-top guitar. It was actually the first year that they that Gibson put a pickup in it, and they had a cutaway neck in it. And, um, I, you know, I always thought it was a cool guitar, not knowing really – how significant it was well time gets away from everybody and uh, i did a show with exile here last fall and i got to meet exile's guitar tech and for some reason i had this connection with him and he said hey i told him i had this guitar that i haven't played in years and years and years and he said you know listen i i you just met me but you can trust me i, I want to fix this guitar I, I told him how much this guitar meant to me and he took it home, and three weeks later called me back, and he said, I got your guitar back that I hadn't played since I was 19 years old. So here I am, and uh, I, I play this guitar for the first time in 30-some years. And the song just wrote itself. You know, here I am. I get to play this old guitar my daddy gave to me. It came from a time before I was born, back in 1953. And the song just basically poured out of me while I was holding and playing the guitar that I hadn't played since I was a teenager. So the song is pretty, uh, pretty emotional to me. And I, I, I wanted to write it not to where just, uh, it, not to where it was just a country song, but I wanted it to, to write a song to where it would be with intent to keep real country music alive for the next generation. In that song, it states that I, when when my days are done, I wonder who will play this guitar. And so, you know, I just wrote, wrote the song with emotion and uh, with intent that I wanted to keep real country music alive. Wow. I mean, I, my dad passed away just six years ago, so I, I know the feeling where you, you have someone that has handed down so much to you, not just the guitar, yep. but a way of life and a way yep. of thinking um, that is so blessed that you have and that, that you're able now to share it with everyone else and say, hey, listen, we're not a bad country. There is a lot of good in here and a lot of good that we're trying to pass up to the future. And that's basically what I hear in this song. So we're going to play your song back in 1953. Here we go. Oh, if I hit the right thing, I thought I hit the right thing. 
to play this old guitar my daddy gave to me. It was made in a time before I was born, 1953. Because you also did another song about your daddy's guitar, but this this one is completely different. And it, it's funny. Now, you did use your dad's guitar when you recorded this. Tell me that I'm wrong. 
Well, uh, actually, I, I had the guitar in the studio with me, but I didn't get to play it during the session. Um, but uh, I had it there for for <laughs> emotion purposes. <laughs> so it was just something that I had. I held it when I wrote the song. But that's, uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's not on the recording itself. <clears throat> Well, you know, this being July 4th, I'm going to bring something up because you wrote the song Keyboard uh, Cowboy, which I love. And we oh, had this discussion you. the last time you were on the show. What was, uh, what was it, about two, three weeks ago, the last time you were on? Because you know how much mm-hmm. I love you because we think alike. Um, <laughs> over the 4th of July weekend, we had this this huge brouhaha over Nike and the Betsy Ross flag on the shoe, the sneaker. And uh, without even realizing, I guess your song was playing in the back of my mind because I'm not a keyboard cowboy. And you know what I'm talking about because people will hear the song and enjoy it. So I actually put pen to paper, actually, you know, the the, uh, word processor to paper, signed a letter with my name and addressed it to the CEO of Nike Corporation, Mark, um, Mark Parker is his name. And everyone's going, oh, it's a racist symbol. You know what? Betsy Ross was the original feminist here in the United States. She was a, a woman with daughters who started a business on her own, a business that became so successful that the future president of the United States knocked on her door and asked her to design this flag. But prior to that, she was the one who designed and made the flag for the Pennsylvania Naval. So, you know, she she. Women back then were inconsequential. You know, you stay in the home, you raise the babies, you don't go out and start a business. You don't become something that's part of a revolutionary movement. Women didn't do that back then. She's the original feminist. And then to say that this thing is racist, Richard, i got to read you what I wrote, Mr. Parker. Do you mind? I would love to hear it. Well, the snarkiness of Annie comes out full force. So I wrote to Mr. Parker, over the years, I've seen you make dumb decisions upon flimsy public opinion. Each time I shook my head laughing, then divested my portfolio of any Nike stock and cleared my closet of any Nike products. What did I care if you choose to make an inane business decision? Now you've gone too far. Colin Kaepernick does not speak for me or the rest of the nation. The Betsy Ross flag is not a symbol of slavery or racial hatred. Betsy was a proud resident of Pennsylvania, an abolitionist state that led the state at the first Continental Congress promoting the inclusion of abolition in the Constitution. Her design of Pennsylvania naval flags and the eventual American flag included 13 stripes to show unity in the fight for freedom. Her 13 stars were to show unity of our citizens and of each state. If anything, Betsy Ross' subtle hint was to promote equality and freedom for all, not racial bigotry or slavery. For shame that you wasted your product R&D people's talent in the creation of a wonderful product. I'm sure the morale is sky high at this point. Sarcasm if you don't recognize it here. Moreover, your stockholders are probably equally enthusiastic of the cost of the product line and the loss in products and profits when pulled. Did I tell you I divested my holding of Nike the first time you pulled such a bonehead move? 
I can hear the echoes of sell from Wall Street all the way down here in South Carolina today. Simply because Colin Kaepernick says a symbol represents an ideal or policy does, doesn't make it so. He's not an authority on anything except football and his own overblown ego. He does not speak for me or anyone I am aware of. So why do you let him dictate your company policy? Oh, right. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. And boy, this is one really oily situation. Now, here's a point you obviously didn't think of with this idiotic move. You're in a company insulted every single young girl, aspiring woman, and successful woman by saying Betsy Ross's accomplishments in a masculine-dominated world meant nothing. You've allowed Colin Kaepernick to redefine the meaning of her words in an anti-feministic manner. Furthermore, you've denied the blood spilt for that flag which brought this nation its hard-earned freedoms. You've allowed a minor group of knuckle-dragging bigots to redefine our history, aided by a third-rate has-been quarterback. Shame on you. The list is ale expanding in those you have offended in your attempt to not offend. Boy, you are on a roll. Keep it up. Maybe New Balance might be in the future to bail you out. And then again, maybe not. I remain Anne-Marie Ubellis. Do you think I was a little sarcastic? <laughs> I, I think you nailed it. Home run. You know, you, you, you listen to this and you see this nonsense. And, and, and it, I take it one step further. They, they talk about, you know, the need for education, but the, it's really not education that they're giving our kids. It's indoctrination. And it's so sad because, you know, people like Kaepernick are a product of what the, of what the so-called educational system in our country is. So if this is what we have to look forward to, God help us. You know, innovation, independent thinking, self-reliability is no longer taught to our kids today. Now, my listeners know I just went through a bad health scare where I spent most of the last, about two weeks ago, most of the last week in the hospital, in one and out the other. And I had a pretty bad health scare. So my doctors were telling me, oh, you've got to have this in your diet, you have to have that in your diet. And one of the things they had suggested with this special type of milk uh, because I, one of my problems was with my digestive tract. So I said, all right, what do I do with this? And they said, oh, I don't know. You, you treat it like a yogurt or a milk. You just drink it. Well, good Lord, Richard, I tried drinking this thing. I rushed for the sink. I could not drink this stuff. And I said, all right, now oh. I've got my hands on this stupid stuff they made me buy. What do I do with it? And after doing a little innovative thinking, I came up with a cheese spread. And then I ended up making sourdough bread and smoothies and other things. I mean, people don't think outside the box. You're stuck with something. What do you do to make the boat the most and the best of what you're stuck with? And people today don't think that way anymore. You take an idea, a germ of a thought for a song, and you create something, and you build upon it in which people can enjoy so if you're stuck with a, a situation and you're not sure what to do, think outside the box, people. But we're not being taught that anymore. Everyone's being corralled, as you said, indoctrinated. Yep. And this is one of the things that you had with your country, uh, your your keyboard cowboy. Well, I think you nailed it because, you know, uh, I, I really never was one to 
to follow the crowd. I mean, even at a young age, I, I kind of had an idea of a direction I wanted to go. And, you know, and I never put down what anybody else wants to do. If they want to do their thing, that's fine. But it, it seems like that, um, you know, the people today are, are such, are so worried and so fast to, to ridicule and, and try to, it's almost becoming self-loathing. If you're an American, they want you to make yourself self-loathing. And I'm like, I'm not going to self-loathe. I think I'm proud of this country. I'm proud of what I can do, and I'm proud of the fact that I get to do what I want to do and thankful that I'm, I'm, you know, at this point still able to do what I want to do. But people just need to stand up, have a voice, and and when they see stupid stuff and when they see stuff like that, they're just, say, hey, call them out on it, like Kaepernick and others. But uh, that's just my two cents worth. <laughs> Yeah, calling the CEO of, of Nike a bonehead. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty that's out there. I love it. <laughs> well, I, I, as I was reading it, I just noticed three typos, so it went out in the mail yesterday. So the heck with it, I'll own it. <laughs> that's right. But instead, instead, instead they do the stealth attacks. You've got the antifa that wears the goggles and the masks and the hoodies that you don't know who they are. You got this. The other guy that attacks you through the keyboard, through the internet, yeah, it, hey, they're anonymous, but they're vicious. And I, I had here on the show a number of weeks ago someone who doxxed me on my own show. They, they, they actually imitated my phone number, made it come up in the studio, and I'm looking in the studio and I see my own phone number come up. And they went in so far as to put my mother's address in the chat room. And, you know, Richard, I'm half Italian. I'm half German, so you either get me really pissed off, or once you get me pissed off, you got me stubborn. And I just <laughs> went on a rant, and I got a hold of the company that broadcasts the show, and I said, you give me that guy's IP address, because he wrote the, broke the federal law on several different levels. I want his butt. His butt I will own. And this is what we get. We get these keyboard cowboys that think they're the computer geniuses and geeks, and they will stealth attack. It's sad because, you know, the world we live in, you know, you you want to you want to voice your opinion and you want to be able to have your say. But it, you know, if you're uh, a genius or a clever person on on keyboard, they'll they'll twist your they'll twist your words around and manipulate you to the where you it looks like you're an idiot. And, and but you know, fortunately, on the conversation we had earlier, a lot of folks can see through that nonsense and. Hopefully, that uh, the more we talk about it, the, the most you know people can see through it. Absolutely, and then go after these keyboard cowboys, lasso their butts. <laughs> <laughs> but this is your song. <laughs> I'm on a roll today, Richard. My co-host Curtis had a uh, bug out because he's got a funeral. He's attending someone close to him had passed away just over the weekend, so he's not with us. So if anyone's wondering why Curtis is not piping in, I did not evict him. He had to run off. Uh, but this is Keyboard Cowboy by Richard Lynch, richardlynchband.com. And here we go. I was drinking my coffee this morning, tending to my business like I always do. When all of a sudden my phone started ringing, said, did you see the post? What's his name said about you? I had to think for a while, then I started to smile. You mean to tell me he's at it again? I guess the fools never learn a hot poker will burn. Yeah, he's 
left him like a spark in old hand. Well, one thing is true, he wouldn't know what to do if he took his computer away. So let the fun begin, let's all hit stand, and he can see what we have to say. He's a keyboard cowboy. I don't think he's ever been out west. A keyboard cowboy. He shoots off his mouth from behind his desk. A keyboard cowboy. He puts it on Facebook so it must be true. He's a mighty big man with his mouth in his hand and he's coming after me. like that you can, you can poke fun at it and people understand that how many people have been on social media and had someone attack them they may have said something is so innocent innocuous that all said oh my goodness it's, it's how dare you you're the biggest racist you this is yeah, da, 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 da. It's like whoa, whoa chill out here <laughs> chill out <laughs> yeah and that's why this song is so fun well i was uh i oh, was man. in the studio and i i got my wife i convinced my wife she should she should do that part there the female part and i thought she did a great job on it, miss donna <laughs> you said would you would you tell her honey use that voice when you're yelling at me <laughs> <laughs> exactly that that's such a we get so many requests for that song on our shows and stuff it's a it's a lot of fun. She goes, I don't use that voice on you. Don't tell me that. <laughs> no, if she's listening, she's probably going, who's that witch on the other end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we, it's all in good fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, we had Bill Abernathy on at the start of the show, and I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him, because the music industry is the industry of youth. There's all these young kids getting out there, and they don't have the life experience that you have or that Bill had. Is it harder for someone like you getting into this at this stage of your life, 
or do you find it easier because people give you a little leeway because they figure you've got some experience behind you? Well, um, to to reach um, you know the stratosphere level to where you're you know you're doing a lot of TV and we do a lot of TV, but there there is a there is a sense of you know well you know you're past your prime type of thing, and um, you know that's sad because there's a lot of folks out there besides me that have a lot to say and have a lot to give. Um, but, you know, not every aspect of that is a, is a problem because, you know, I've been playing music for right at 40 years and, um, you know, I've established credibility and you just can't establish credibility overnight. And so, you know, there's a lot of said, a lot of things to be said that I, since I've, you know, been playing for so long. And, and the truth of the matter is, is, um, there's such a need in today's world for traditional country music that um, the mainstream radio has basically created uh, a lot of interest in the fact that I'm keeping mine country. They they can't really get you know the traditional sound like they want in today's mainstream. So they're doing a lot of us uh, traditional artists a favor because the, the country fans still want to hear that traditional country out there, and they just go elsewhere to find it. Well, you know, I'm glad you said TV because I, I always forget you do a TV show, too. I, oh, yes, ma'am. Why don't you slap me over the head and remind me? Hey, mention the TV show, Ann. <laughs> we have a show that uh, airs every Saturday morning out of uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, called Traditionally Lynch. And it's also on um, uh, the cable network, the the Cowboy Channel. Um, so it's aired uh, nationally, and we just found out that um, in the near future it's being picked up um, in the European market. They're transferring the format. There's a different format. Uh, TV formats are different in Europe versus the United States. So they're transferring the format now, and um, we're excited to say that our, our TV show will be airing in Europe here in the very near future. So it's just a, you know, it's just persistence on my end and determination from, you know, I'm lucky to have a, a, a wife that believes in me and supports me. I've great, I've got a great management team that, that is always looking out for me and promoting things and, you know, trying to hook up with that traditional country audience out there that's still looking for that sound that they miss today. Oh, absolutely, and and Mazel Tov on uh, being carried in Europe. There is such a hunger for a lot of traditional music, whether it's bluegrass, country, and, and jazz, in Europe. You know, it, it's not all head banging stuff out there, and they really want what's coming out of America. And I'm glad that you are reaching into that market. Um, good going. Uh, one of the songs, well, one of the reasons why I was asking you about. One of the reasons why I was asking you about, you know, breaking in you at this stage in your life compared to young kids today is because one of the songs that Mike sent me was called Fast Times and Easy Money. Tell us about that one, because this this is something that kids today think that's just you walk into a, a, a office and you're guaranteed that job before you even do the interview. Uh, you go out for Dancing with the Stars, and you're going to get that million-dollar prize. They want that instant gratification. They don't realize the work that has to go behind to reach that pinnacle in your life. 
Well, I wrote that song, believe it or not, from watching a uh, a, a country music show. Um, there was a, a show on, I don't even know if it's still on or not, um, about finding real country artists. And uh, Travis Tritt and Shania Twain were the two hosts of this particular t- uh, network show I watched. And they were bringing out artists to sing and keep the traditional country music alive. Well, Travis Tripp brought out this three-piece band from Texas, and I can't remember their names. But I thought, wow, they really sound good. And uh, they kind of put me in mind of a, a Waylon Jennings type of uh, artist, you know, just that that uh, honky-tonk kind of outlaw country that Waylon would have done or Merle Haggard would have done. It was so good. And so they went back to a a commercial, and they came back, and they showed these three guys who I was just so impressed with playing cards behind the stage waiting to come back out and perform for the second time. And I seen these guys playing these cards, and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is a song that I'm watching. So I jumped up, grabbed my pad of paper and pen, went to the kitchen table, and wrote the song Fast Times and Easy Money just by watching these guys on television. So that's it's it's amazing where an, in, an influence or an inspiration will come from. You just never know. Well, it also speaks to how confident these these three guys were in their talent and how relaxed they were because, you know, most people would be biting their fingernails, staring at the stage, looking at the clock, waiting, all right, fine, fine, five minutes, five minutes. But these guys just sat down and started dealing around a, a hand. You know, you think about the mental acuity they had, that, that they could turn around, put the cards down, and go back to what they were doing without breaking stride. That's pretty impressive. That just tells you that they, you said it, they, they were confident, and uh, they were there to do their business, play their music, and, you know, do their thing. And that's, you know, it, it showed in the, it really showed a, in the movie, I mean, in, in the in the television show, just watching that because I was able to to feel confident enough to write a song about them. So <laughs> it's just it's really crazy how an inspiration <laughs> will come to you. Well, I got to warn listeners that if we do get cut off, I've got a heavy thunderstorm coming in right now, and the sky outside my window is black. So I'm hoping I don't lose power. Anyway, this is Richard Lynch. You can find him at richardlynchband.com. Fast times and easy money. Oh, if I hit the, I keep on hitting the wrong button.
gambling in their blood. Yeah, the bright lights and the music, spinning numbers and slot machines. They can be amusing or a place to chase some dreams. But if the fast horse starts to stumble before the finish line, change the odds, don't bet the long shot. Richard, Richard Lynch Band, and we're back. Richard, we had someone put a a note in the uh, chat room, our friend Vorp, uh, thought maybe there is an interesting story you may want to um, write about in a song, something called The Folklorist, an American Army of Two. And I'm looking at a YouTube video hosted by John Harrigan that tells a tale of two brave ladies during the War of 1812 who stopped at a British invasion off the coast of Massachusetts. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Uh, that, that sounds interesting. You know, that the does. I would like to know more about that. To... Uh, yeah, yes, I'm going to send like... uh, Michael this link. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see unless something you send more. me an email through my Yeah, send me an email through the website, Southern Sense, and I'll shoot you the link back. Uh, on this okay. one, um, because you know, women's contributions to not only just the American Indian War, uh, the uh, uh, the Revolutionary War, the War of eighteen twelve, the Civil War, a female contribution is not really talked about too much. And two of the handles I use uh, when I get banned by uh, uh, Twitter is Maggie Corbin, Corbin, and Deborah Sampson. Both Revolutionary War women who fought, actually fought. One actually disguised herself as a man until she was wounded by a bullet, and the doctor realized she was a woman, and that was it. But they eventually did get Revolutionary War pensions. I believe it was Thomas. Um, was it Thomas Paine? No. Uh, what's the one with the beer? Oh, good lord. Uh, <laughs> a beer. The, the, the Massachusetts beer. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it probably about three o'clock in the morning. 
um, <laughs> that actually petitioned for them to get to get their pensions. You know, the, the contributions that are just quietly taken out of our history books by people like Colin Kaepernick has got to be brought forward. And uh, I think that would be an ideal uh, vehicle for you to do that. Sam Adams, thank you very much, Sasquatch. Brain fart. I, the gray hair is showing in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. I like. I like to. I like to educate myself a little more about that because you know that's anything like that that connects with American history, and we can show the this you know the uniqueness of the female who done so much to contribute to that. I'd love to write a song about that. Well, like I said, you know, send me an email tonight when we get off, and then I will shoot everything back that I can find on this one because I'm definitely making sure I bookmark this link. Um, definitely just adding it to my bookmark bar. Yeah, no I, doubt. It's, it's so much fun listening to your listening to your music because you've got so many different styles, and yet you never really stray too far from what is traditional country. And people don't realize traditional country has a myriad different types of styles. This is true, you know. Um, you know, I, I'm influenced by people like Hank Williams. Uh, my dad was a big Hank fan, so I grew up listening to that. And then, you know, I got a little older, and a guy named Conway Twitty just absolutely floored me. His vocal ability and his songwriting—did he talk about to sing a song for the ladies? Conway Twitty knew how to sing a song for the ladies. <laughs> and you know, and. And and people like uh, you know Bob Wills and Hank Williams Jr. and and all these diverse uh, traditional country sounds, um, you know, there's just it's endless as to what real traditional country sound can be can sound like, and still have a respect and a a sense of tradition for the music. And uh, like I say, it, it's really diverse, and I'm 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 happy that I can be or was influenced enough to where I can write my songs and, and show a little diversity in all my music. Absolutely. You know, my husband and I once, when we were living in New York, saw George Jones, and unfortunately it was at Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall does not have the acoustics for honky-tonk. I'm sorry. He, he's great, but the, the, the format that they had, I mean, if they had him on a regular stage, fine, but not Carnegie Hall. It was just unfortunate because I love the guy. I really do. Uh, one of the things you write about, and we're down to coming into our last 10 minutes of the of the show, is your faith. And it, 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 it permeates a lot of, of the songs you write. And you actually took my breath away with one of these songs because uh, it's called One Breath Away. And one of the reasons why it hit me really hard, as I said, I had a, a medical scare and I was lying on the floor, breathing in pain, uh, waiting for EMS to show up. And I, my listeners heard me talk about this last week, is that I actually closed my eyes. And that's how bad it was. I said, dear God, if this is it, I'm ready. And the next thing I know, when I opened up my eyes, EMS was standing over me. And I said, okay, Lord, you don't want me just yet. <laughs> Take me to the hospital and get me better. But when I listened to this song, I thought about that very moment and you question yourself, are you ready? And this is a beautiful, beautiful song. Let me get this keyed up and try not to screw it up. again. 
I, you know what it is? I'm double-clicking when I only need to single-click. So uh, if you're hearing the thunder behind me, uh, yeah, the storm is getting really hot and heavy here. But, Richard, what was your thoughts when you wrote this song? Well, you know, we all lose folks that mean a lot to us. And, you know, I keep making reference to my dad because, you know, um, as we get older and you become a dad or you become a parent, um, what you've seen as a child mm, sometimes uh, aren't necessarily exactly how things really can be. And I, I guess what I'm saying is we we get as we get older, we learn, you know, what life is and we learn you know, how to um, how to accept things and, and you know, you, you just go on with things you can't control. Uh, the biggest thing with me was that uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I can write a song and, and spill my heart, wear my heart on my sleeve, and just kind of let people know how much my dad meant to me. And uh, I was at a funeral. I was invited to come to a funeral recently, and I had no idea that they were going to play any of my music, and then they played that song One Breath Away, and it's so fitting. You know, I wrote it for myself, but it, it it's so fitting for anybody that that has, a you know, their dad and, and had a connection with their dad because it kind of says, you know, someday, you know, we're going to see each other again, and, you know, if we live long enough and we're fortunate enough, we'll be a dad. And so it, it's kind of revolved into something that, uh, you know, it's just universal. And um, everybody can kind of relate with it, I guess you might say. Well, I know my dad is still looking down on me. And every once in a while, he hits me on the side of the head and goes, you idiot. <laughs> so, yes, I can relate. <laughs> Richard Lynch, richardlynchband.com, one breath away. My dream seems so real The voice of an angel had spoken I can't explain how his words made me feel The message he told me was Said your granddad and grandma was fine Told me God's almighty hands were soldiers And we'll all be back together sometime One breath away One breath away Every one of us on God's green Is one breath away Time takes the pain away If I'm lucky, I'll keep on learning As I grow a little older each day 
All right, we're down to our last five minutes, Richard. This show has just flown out the window. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. It has been so much fun. Well, thank you. It was a blast to get to sit, get to talk with you and sit and talk with you and, you know, get, kind of share our little our little music th- thoughts and our, our, our ideas. It's so, uh, it's so much fun to be around you, honey. I appreciate you having me. Oh, you know, you you just tell Michael, get me on the show. So your new <laughs> album just came out two weeks ago. Say, Michael, I'm going to head slap you. Your new album just came out two weeks ago called I'll Think I'll Carry It On. But what I want to do is end the show with the quintessential Richard Lynch song, which is We're Proud Americans. What a way to end the 4th of July show with but that song. Well, I sure appreciate it. I think it might fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, check out richardlynchband.com. Richard Lynch is an excellent, excellent dude. I am so glad to have you on here. So I'm going to close off because uh, the thunderstorm is coming in like you wouldn't believe. And they actually, when that last song was playing, we had a little bit of a, a brown out here. And thank heaven I bought new power supplies here so it didn't kick me out. So here we go. We're closing off the show, everyone, with Richard Lynch of the Richard Lynch Band. And we're proud Americans. God bless and good night and happy 4th of July.
American proud. We're American proud. 